0: Hi everyone, welcome along to today's podcast uh, from Property Apprentice. My name is Debbie Roberts. So what I'm going to talk about today is top five mistakes that new investors make and how you can avoid making those mistakes yourself, which is really important, especially in um, climate like we've got at the moment, heading into a recession if we're not technically there already. So, a bit of a disclaimer first, all the coaches at Property Apprentice are registered financial advisors, but I am not an accountant, I'm not a mortgage advisor or anything like that, so um, we recommend that you speak to professionals in their field especially ones that specialize in property investing. If this is the area that you're wanting to get in to, please remember that nothing from today's presentation should be taken as individual financial advice, because obviously I don't know anything about your individual financial positions. All right, so now that we've done the technical stuff, let's rip into the details. One of the biggest mistakes that we see, especially new investors make, is that they don't have any strategic plan. And so it's one of those things, you know, the old saying, if you don't know where you're going, any path will get you to the same place, which will be nowhere or something along those lines. So um, what you need to do is to think about what it is that you actually want to achieve from your investment in property and what time frame are you working towards? Because obviously if you've got a six month time frame, then your plan is gonna look completely different to someone who's happy to work for another 40 years, for example. So you also need to understand what sort of properties are right for your particular financial position. And once you understand that, then you can set yourself some purchasing rules or guidelines. Now, if you don't have purchase rules or guidelines or buying rules, different people call them different things. If you don't have those in place, You're going to spend all of your time overanalyzing things and you won't recognise a good deal for your situation even if it lands in your lap. So having a good set of purchase rules uh, will really help you to keep on track with your investing and stop you from paralysis by analysis. So what sort of properties should you look for and whereabouts in New Zealand you're most likely to find that? That will be determined by your purchase rules. Your purchasing guidelines what you need to do is base your guidelines around your personal financial position and what your long-term goals are what level of risk you feel comfortable with all of those sort of things need to be taken into account and once you know what sort of net yield or discount on purchase or so equity in the deal once you know all of those things how quickly you need to be able to recycle your deposit so you can move on to the next deal once you understand and, and know that then you'll be able to narrow down your search because for example if you're looking for 5% net yield as part of your purchase rules, you're not going to find that everywhere in New Zealand. Okay, So it's really important to understand what sort of cash flow you require and that will help you to determine your purchase rules as well. Like I said, it depends on what you're looking as to where the best place in New Zealand is that you're most likely to find those deals at any given time. And the areas can change as we move through the property cycle as well. And so, although you might start in one area, it doesn't mean you have to stay there for the rest of forever when you're investing. So New Zealand's a pretty cool place. We don't have one property cycle that all moves at the same time. We can have one area that's booming really strongly and another area that's actually heading into a buyer's market both at the same time. So it's quite interesting to invest if you're looking across the country at different stages. What level of risk you feel comfortable with, this is really important. And this is the next bit that I'm going to talk about when it comes to getting bank finance to purchase properties. It's important that you balance capital growth with cash flow so that you can keep moving forward with your investing until you reach your long-term goals. Sometimes that can incorporate different strategies and there's a number of different strategies that you can use when it comes to investing but they all carry different levels of risk. So it's important to understand what level of risk you feel comfortable with, how comfortable are you with investing outside of the area that you live in does it need to be somewhere that's driving distance for you or are you okay with traveling a little bit further afield to your investment properties it's vital that once you've got a plan in place you actually do something with it so take action because if you are just putting it all on paper or or even worse if you're just keeping this plan in your head and you don't actually put it into action then you are never going to get results and 10 years from now you'll still own the same number of properties that you own today so don't give up once you've got a good plan in place stick to your plan buy properties when you can buy properties and you will eventually reach your long-term goals sometimes you might reach them sooner than you thought you would other times it might take you a little bit longer but just don't give up and you will get there the only time people fail in property is when they either quit or when they sell a property for a loss for one reason or another, which I'll talk about later as well. So the second mistake that we see is uh, investors not understanding bank lending rules. So it is important, as I mentioned before, that you balance both capital gain and cash flow because you will always be limited either by your available equity or how much deposit you've got available and how much you can borrow by provable income. For example, you might have a million dollars worth of available equity. But if you don't earn anything, if you haven't got any provable income, then the banks won't lend you any money because they'll lend to you the lowest that they need to, because banks are risk averse, especially in a a financial climate like we've got at the moment in New Zealand following COVID. Or, still in the midst of COVID, really aren't we? We're going to see banks getting a lot tighter with their lending criteria. So, once you understand what your borrowing capacity is, that can help you to work out uh, what your purchase guidelines should be as well. How much deposit are you going to need for the type of property that you want to buy? Because different types of properties require different deposits. Now, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand has lifted the restriction for deposits. At the moment, we are are still waiting to hear from the majority of the banks as to how they are actually going to deal with that. So, you know, we the little girl waits. We'll keep you posted as soon as we hear more. Once the mortgage advisors have got more information from the banks about how they're going to deal with the lifting of the restriction of the deposit requirement for the Reserve Bank, we will invite them along to a podcast so they can share their knowledge with you. So when I come back to the type of property that you want to buy and how much deposit you're going to need that, an example of that would be a house in the suburb any suburb in New Zealand except for potentially small town middle of nowhere because banks get really risk averse lending to people who want to buy in small towns in a downturn. Let's say you're just buying in a suburb in a city in New Zealand. Then your deposit that you'd need to purchase a house in the suburbs would be smaller than the deposit that you might need to buy an inner city apartment, for example, or a block of flats. So different types, different percentage deposits for different types of property. And also it will depend on whether you're buying a home for yourself, or whether you're buying an investment property, different deposit requirements could be there as well. So how to structure your lending, now we always recommend split banking, which means that if you've got a mortgage on your own home, in an ideal world, you want your home mortgage to be with a bank that you don't have any of your investment properties with. So have your investment properties mortgaged with different banks because that reduces your risk, uh, especially when bank lending criteria gets tight. If all of your eggs are in one banking basket, the bank has a lot more control over you and your financial position than you necessarily need to give them. So make sure that you've got a good mortgage advisor on your team of experts so that they can help you with that. And when I say good mortgage advisor, I mean an independent one. So one that works with all of the different banks. Anyway, balancing your portfolio. So you have to make sure that you've got a a good combination of capital gain across the long term, as well as cash flow. And the reason that you need to balance both sides of that equation is because if you're only buying for capital growth, and your cash flow on those properties is not enough to cover the cost of it, you are going to hit the wall with your lending sooner rather than later. And likewise, if you're buying high cash flow properties, but in areas that don't tend to get decent capital gain over the long term, then you're going to hit the wall with your lending on the equity side of the equation. So you need to balance um, both capital gain or equity with the cash flow to be able to continue to move forward with your lending. Managing interest rates is really important as well, especially at the moment when we've got record low interest rates and potentially they could get even lower, which is amazing. But at times like this, we see a lot of new investors over leverage themselves and home buyers as well. We see them over leverage themselves on properties that they can't afford if interest rates go up to the long-term average, which is about 7% in New Zealand. Make sure you're crunching your numbers on a higher interest rate than we've currently got. Don't mortgage yourself up to the eyeballs on property that you can only just afford at today's interest rates. Otherwise, you could get yourself into a position where you literally have to sell. And if you have to sell when the market's not working in your favor, then that's when people take a loss in property. If you can ride through a downturn without having to sell anything, you won't lose anything in the property market. Even if values drop, you only realise that drop if you sell that property and essentially cash out at that point. So this brings me to the next point, which is um, number three, the, the third mistake that people make is buying the wrong sort of property for their financial position or paying too much for a property. So one way to avoid making that mistake is to understand how property values work. You need to compare sales prices of other recent comparable deals in the area that you're looking at and properties that compare to the type of property that you are looking at as well. You know, floor plan, land size, all of those things, the quality of the property in question. So compare that with other recent sales in the area. When you're buying an investment property, you need Need to take as much emotion out of that equation as you possibly can and this is where having purchase guidelines can really help you if you've got a set of buying rules then that helps you to remove the emotion because if you fall in love with a property that is when you tend to pay more for the house than what it might be worth And this is why we see property values increase so strongly during a booming market when there's lots of buyers in the market. So especially with home buyers, home buyers fall in love with houses and they pay whatever it takes, especially if it's at an auction. So remove as much emotion from the equation as you can when you're negotiating on property and that can help you to not pay too much. If you haven't done enough homework, uh, that is where you can end up paying more for a property than you should have. In addition to understanding how much properties are worth, you also need to understand what the market rent for that area is as well and that type of property in that area. Do your homework, um, find out what amenities are in the area if you're not familiar with that already and just do your research. Don't buy a property and just hope for the best. And because nine times out of 10, that will be the deal that will come back and bite you on the butt. So always do your research. It reduces the risk when you're purchasing an investment property. And look, if you're buying an investment property, you don't wanna be just buying hope. You wanna buy an investment, something that's gonna work for you. So there is a level of work and research that goes into that to make sure that you're not buying something that's the wrong sort of property for your position. Overleveraging, I've talked about that already, and same with unaffordable. So, you know, if you're paying too much for properties, mortgaging yourself up to the eyeballs that you can only just afford the mortgage payments at today's interest rates, that's when you can get into trouble. Negatively geared, that can affect your ability to continue to get lending further in the future and now that ring fencing of tax losses has come into play it also means that if you're buying a property where the rent is not enough to cover all of the costs of owning it the losses that you incur you don't get that as a tax refund anymore that you can offset against your personal income tax Uh, what happens now is that the losses get carried forward the next tax year. So you'd have to have a pretty high income to be able to afford to continue to top up rental properties in those situations. And when the market is flat or declining in value, having a property that you've got to top up out of your own back pocket as well as watching values fall, that's a really quick way to suck the fun out of investing. Negatively geared rental properties is not a great strategy, especially in a flat or declining market. Now, in a flat or declining market, paying top dollar for a property, so full market value, if the property's got no value add potential, that's another huge mistake that's easily avoided, especially at the moment, buying a property off the plans or um, a brand new development. You would want to make sure that you'd negotiated really hard on that because a brand spanking new property that's fully landscaped, there's nothing you can do to improve the value on that. So when you're buying a property, you need to be able to either negotiate hard to get that property at a bit of a discount from its actual market value, or buy a property that's got value add potential so you can maybe renovate that property and increase its value. Both of those things, buying below value and increasing the value will give you a good buffer if values do drop. When you are renovating, you need to make sure that you're not overcapitalizing with the renovations. And often that comes down to emotion as well. So people often renovate properties to their own personal tastes, and you need to understand what the area requires. So for example, if you live in an affluent suburb, and you're buying properties in a less affluent suburb, you would be overcapitalizing if you renovated that property to your personal taste. You're not the person that's going to be living in that property. You need to be renovating that property to what the market requires, okay? Otherwise, you're going to spend too much on that renovation and not get the return. Mistake number four is um, people buying rental properties, especially in their own personal names. So when it comes to tax and asset protection, The best asset protection uh, comes from having properties either in a trust or um, in some situations having a company to own those properties as well. And same with the tax benefits. You want to maximize your tax benefits and protect the assets that you're purchasing. So get advice from a really good accountant that specializes in property investing because they know all the ins and outs. Once you know what sort of properties you're looking for and what your buying rules are, then you can talk to an accountant and get some advice around what structures you need to be purchasing those properties into. Bad tax advice can be really expensive. So this is why it's important to make sure that your accountant understands property investing. There's some really great business accountants out there, but if they don't understand how property investment works, do not use them as your property investment accountant. You can have two different accountants. You can have one accountant look after your business and another accountant look after your property investment side of things. If you've already got a great business accountant that you're happy with but if they don't understand property get a specialist to look after your property stuff restructuring of assets restructuring the entities that you're purchasing your properties into can be really expensive and it can also trigger tax audits so not a great idea avoid that by setting up the right structures right from the beginning and that reduces your cost and reduces your risk as well. The next piece of advice is to make sure that you set up structures as and when you need them. For example, don't set up a trading structure. If you're thinking about flipping houses, don't set that up until you're actually, until you're ready to look for a property that you're planning on trading. And um, because having a trading entity can affect the tax side of your long-term buy and hold investments. You just make sure that you talk to a good accountant, and get the guidance um, from that. But make sure that you don't set up structures too early in the piece um, because rules can change and sometimes the best structure for you three years down the track might be different from what you thought three years previously. So understanding the tax consequences, like I mentioned, um, if you're thinking about doing flipping or something like that, it's important to understand how that will affect the rest of your normal buy and hold portfolio because trading triggers GST so and it taints your long term buy and hold portfolio which means you'd have to own those for at least 10 years before you sold them without paying capital gains tax. Number five, last but not least, is not knowing what you don't know. And at the moment, I think one of the biggest mistakes that especially new investors are making is that they're trying to time the market. So we are hearing a lot of people at the moment, a lot of questions coming from people asking us, when do you think is the best time to buy a property? Should we buy something now or should we wait for six months when potentially people run out of their six month mortgage holiday? So property values might fall. Our advice is if you know what sort of property you're looking for, buy property when you can buy property. So what I mean by buy property when you can buy property is that you don't know what's gonna happen with the market. Nobody's got a magic crystal ball. So if a property makes sense today, Buy it today. Um, Don't wait for the market to bottom out because if you're trying to time the market, you will get it wrong. The only time that you know that you're at the bottom of the market is when the market starts picking back up again. Now, at the moment, when there's so much uncertainty going on in the property market, that means there's less buyers in the market. There's less competition. if you know what you're looking for and you're actively looking for that deal you will have less competition when it comes to negotiating that deal so your ability to buy a property below value when you've got less competition from other buyers is much greater you could actually negotiate potentially a bigger discount today than you might be able to in six months' time when everyone else thinks, oh, maybe the property market's hit the bottom, and everyone else jumps into the property market and starts trying to compete with you to purchase the same property. Let's say, for example, if you negotiate a 10% discount today, if the market does fall by 10%, then you'll be competing with other people and you might end up paying the same price that you could have negotiated today. And then on the flip side, what if the market doesn't fall by 10% because there's no guarantees it will. I can tell you what we're seeing at the moment, we're seeing increased demand from people who are wanting to learn about investing and also home buyers. We're getting a huge amount of contact from home buyers who want help as well. Now. Property Apprentice doesn't sell houses. So I've got no vested interest here in trying to talk up the market. This is just common sense. Buy when there's less competition and you can negotiate a bigger discount. If you wait until everyone else gets into the market, you're gonna be competing with everyone else. So it makes your ability to negotiate a really good deal lower. With all of this increased interest in the property market, clearly there's a large number of people who still think that it's a really good time to buy and uh, with the Reserve Bank deposit requirements uh, being lifted then that has introduced a lot more potential buyers into the market as well so don't wait until they all decide that now's the best time to get stuck in take advantage of this window of opportunity that we've got where there is a bit less competition Because there's no guarantees that values will fall from here. Okay, so that is the end of today's podcast. I hope that helped. And uh, if you've got any questions if you want some more information from us feel free to go along to our website which is propertyapprentice.co.nz you can email us at info at propertyapprentice.co.nz we've got a whole bunch of free resources on our website like ebooks and recordings of a webinar that I did towards the end of last year for first home buyers and we've also got this podcast so please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of our episodes and we'll look forward to seeing you at some stage in the near future if we don't already have you as a client. Thanks a lot.